Lesson 7 for May 9 through to 15, Language, Text and Context, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, May 9. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who will guide us in our study of the word and impress upon our minds the meaning that is there for us individually and us as a church. We also thank you that there are people who are skilled in understanding languages and uh, the culture and the text and the context of of, uh, the various parts of the Bible. We pray that as we study this this week, that uh, your Holy Spirit will continue to guide us, that our lives may be not only more productive for you, but that we may be of service to those around us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 26. Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. Deuteronomy 31 verse 26. Let's read that again. Take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. More than 6,000 languages are spoken among the world's billions. The complete Bible has been translated into more than 600 languages, with the New Testament, or some portions, translated into more than 2,500 other languages as well. That's a lot of languages for sure, but at the same time it is still less than half of the known languages of the world. An estimated 1.5 billion people do not have the full Bible translated into their first language. While there is still much work to be done, the efforts of Bible societies have ensured that 6 billion people can read Scripture. And what a blessing to be among those who do have the Bible in their own language. We often take it for granted, forgetting that not only do many not have the Bible, but also that for centuries in Europe the Bible was purposely kept away from the masses. Thanks to the printing press and the Reformation, that is no longer the case. Those of us who do indeed have the Bible continue to look at how we can, filled with the Spirit, learn to study the Word and come to know the Lord revealed in its pages. Sunday, May 10. Understanding the Scriptures. Question. Read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For what purpose was the Bible given to us? 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. The Bible was written as a witness to God's work in history, his plan for redeeming the fallen race of humanity, and to instruct us in all ways of righteousness. The Lord chose to do this in human language, making his thoughts and ideas visible through human words. 
In redeeming Israel from Egypt, God chose a specific nation to convey his message to all peoples. He allowed that nation to communicate his word through their language, Hebrew, and a few portions in Aramaic, a language related to Hebrew. The rise of Greek culture brought a new opportunity allowing the New Testament to be communicated through the universal language of Greek, which was widely spoken in that part of the world at that time. In fact, there was even a Greek translation of the Old Testament as well. This universal language enabled the apostles and early church to spread the message far and wide with new missionary zeal after the death of Christ. Later, the Apostle John, as it says in Revelation 1-2, bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. In this way, the Bible indicates the continuity of this inspired witness and testimony from the first writer of Scripture to the last. Question, read Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 46 and 47. Why is it so important for the children of Israel to obey all the words of the law, as it says in verse 46, the Torah, or instruction? How does God's word prolong our days? What might that mean in our context today? Deuteronomy 32, beginning at verse 46, And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe, all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life, and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Some people not only have the Bible translated into their native language, but even have various versions of it in their own language. Others might have only one version, if even that. But regardless of what you have, the key point is to cherish it as the Word of God, and most important, to obey what it teaches. So to finish today, why is it never a futile thing, as it said in verse 47 of Deuteronomy 32, to obey the word of God and to teach it to your children as well. Monday, May 11. Words and their meanings. In every language, there are words that are so rich and deep in meaning that they are difficult to translate adequately with a single word into another language. Such words require a wide study of their usage in the Bible to understand the breadth of meaning. Question. Read 1 Kings 3.6, Psalm 57.3, Psalm 66.20, Psalm 143.8 and Micah 7.20. How do God's mercy and kindness extend toward his created beings? 1 Kings 3.6 And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is 
this day. Psalm 57.3 He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Seller. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Psalm 66 verse 20 Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. Psalm 143 verse 8 Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk for I lift up my soul to you. Micah 7.20 You shall give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. The Hebrew word chesed, or mercy, is one of the richest and most profound words in the Old Testament. It describes God's love, loving kindness, mercy and covenant attitude toward his people. In these few passages, we have seen him show great mercy, chesed was the word used there, to your servant David. You have continued this great kindness, chesed again, for him in 1 Kings 3.6. He shall send forth his mercy, chesed, and his truth, Psalm 57.3. Concerning Israel, he will give truth to Jacob and mercy, chesed, to Abraham, Micah 7.20. Entire books have been written on the word chesed, trying to capture the depth of God's mercy and love toward us. Question, read Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, Job 3.26, Psalm 29.11, Isaiah 9.6, and Isaiah 32, verse 17. In these passages... What is the peace or shalom talked about in them? Number 6, beginning at verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Job 3.26 I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Psalm 29.11 The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Isaiah 9 verse 6 For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 32, verse 17. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. The Hebrew word shalom is often translated as peace, but the meaning of the word is much deeper and broader than this. It can be translated as wholeness, completeness and well-being. God's blessing and graciousness Keep us in a state of shalom, which is a gift from God, as we read in Numbers six, twenty-four to 26 By contrast, Job's experience of trouble produces a situation where he is not at ease, nor is he quiet, for he lacks shalom. In this hectic world, it is a profound blessing to welcome the Sabbath day with the words, Shabbat Shalom. For our communion with God provides the ultimate peace and wholeness that our lives desire. And so to finish today, 
In whatever language we speak and read, even without knowing the original meaning of these words, how can we experience the reality of what these words mean to the best of our understanding? Tuesday, May 12, Repetition, Word Patterns and Meaning In Hebrew thought, there are a number of ways to express ideas that reinforce meaning and emphasize the importance of concepts. Unlike European languages, Hebrew contains no punctuation marks in the original language, so the language structure developed other ways to communicate such ideas. Question, read Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. What words are repeated in these passages? How are these repeated words enhanced by different concepts that are introduced through repetition? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And Isaiah 6 one to three. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. One of the ways that the Hebrew writer could emphasize a certain attribute of God was by repeating it three times. As the creation account comes to the apex of God's creative work, the text emphasizes the unique importance of created humanity. The term bara, to create, always has only God as its subject. That is, it is only God that has the power to create without being dependent on pre-existing matter. Here the text describes the creation of man. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Genesis 1.27 Notice the threefold repetition of the word create. Moses thus emphasized that human beings are created by God and that they are created in his image as well. These truths were his emphasis. In Isaiah's vision and call, the seraphim repeated the words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts in Isaiah 6 verse 3. The emphasis is on the holiness of an awesome God whose presence fills the temple. We also see this holiness through the words of Isaiah as he stands in the presence of the Almighty. Woe is me, for I am undone, in Isaiah 6 verse 5. Even a prophet like Isaiah, confronted with the holiness and character of God, cringed at his own unworthiness. 
Thus, even here, long before we have Paul's exposition of human sinfulness and the need of a saviour, which is recorded in Romans chapters 1, 2 and 3, we can see the Bible giving expression to the fallen nature of humanity, even in a good person such as Isaiah. In Daniel 3, we have a repetition with variations of the phrase, the image which Nebuchadnezzar set up. In verse 1 of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And verse 3, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And on verse 5, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And verse 7, so at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? And verse 15. Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? And verse 18. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. This phrase, or variations of it, is repeated ten times in the chapter to contrast Nebuchadnezzar's action in defiance of the image God revealed to him through Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 to 35. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of brass, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and 
broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind gathered them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure." The emphasis here is on humanity seeking to make itself into a god to be worshipped, in contrast to the only true god, the only one worthy of worship. Wednesday, May 13. Texts and Contexts Words in Scripture always occur in a context. They do not stand by themselves. A word has its immediate context within a sentence, and it is this unit that needs to be understood first. Then there is the wider context of the overall unit in which the sentence occurs. This may be a section of writing, a chapter, or a series of chapters. It is essential to understand as well as possible the context of words and sentences in order not to arrive at erroneous conclusions. Question. Compare Genesis one twenty-seven with Genesis 2 verse 7. Then read Genesis 2, 15 to 23. How can we understand from these different passages and contexts the definition of Adam, the Hebrew word for man? Genesis 1. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Genesis 2 verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
and man became a living being. And Genesis two fifteen to 23 Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you surely shall die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." We've already seen that the repetition of the term bara in Genesis 1.27 indicates an emphasis on the creation of man. Now we see that man is defined within the context of this verse as male and female. This means that the Hebrew term Adam is to be understood in this passage as a reference generically to humanity. However, in Genesis 2 verse 7, The same term Adam is used to refer to the forming of Adam out of the dust of the ground. In Hebrew, Adama. Notice the play on words. Here, only the male, Adam, is referred to, for Eve is not created until later in an entirely different manner. Thus, in each passage, even within the context of two chapters, we see a differentiation between the definition of Adam as humanity in Genesis 1.27 and the man Adam in Genesis 2.7. That Adam is a person is later affirmed in the genealogies in uh, Genesis 5, verses 1 to 5. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of man. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were eight hundred years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. And then First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1, Adam, Seth, Enosh. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And in reference to Jesus, who became the second Adam. In Romans five twelve to 14, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, 
For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law, nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Just as the word Adam occurs in a specific text, so the context of the creation of Adam and Eve is found in the larger creation of account as seen in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. This is what is meant by a larger unit. The unit informs the interpreter of additional themes, ideas and developments. Genesis 2, 4-25 has sometimes been called the second creation account, but in fact there is only a difference in emphasis, and we'll look at this next week. In both accounts, though, we are shown the definitive origins of humanity. Let's read that, Genesis 2, beginning at verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon, it is one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidekel, it is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria, the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So to finish the day, as we can see, man and woman, humanity, are the direct creations of God.
What does this tell us about how foolish the wisdom of the world, as mentioned in 1 Corinthians one twenty, truly is by teaching us that we arose from mere chance? Thursday, May 14. Books and their messages. The largest units in scriptures are books of the Bible. Biblical books were written for different purposes and in different settings. Some served as prophetic messages. Others were compilations such as the Psalms. There are historical books such as First and Second Kings and there are letters to various churches such as those written by Paul and others. As we seek to understand a book's meaning and message, it's important to begin with the authorship and setting. Many books of the Bible are assigned authors. The first five books of the Old Testament are identified as having been authored by Moses, as we read in so many places. For instance, Joshua 8 verses 31 and 32, As Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings, and there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written, and First Kings chapter 2, verse 3, and keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And Second Kings 14 verse 6. But the children of the murderers he did not execute according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, in which the Lord commanded, saying, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. But a person shall be put to death for his own sin. And Second Kings 21 verse 8. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. And Ezra 6 verse 18. They assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And in Nehemiah 13 verse 1 we read, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. And Daniel 9 verse 11 to 13, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law, and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such as has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. 
as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. And Malachi chapter 4 verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. This is confirmed by Jesus and the Apostles. Well, for Jesus, we'll look at these texts. Mark 12, verse 26. But concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and John 5, verse 46 and 47. But if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And John 7 verse 19, Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And now from the Apostles, Acts 3 verse 22, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And Romans 10 verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is in the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. In other cases, some biblical authors are not identified. For example, the authors of the books Esther and Ruth, as well as the authors of many of the historical books, such as Samuel and Chronicles, are not identified. Question. Read Genesis 15, verses 1 to 5, and Genesis 22:17 to 18. What significance is it to us that Moses wrote the book of Genesis? Let's go to those texts. Genesis 15, verses 1 to 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is in the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Exodus through Deuteronomy were written by Moses after, of course, the Exodus. But because Genesis is foundational as a history of God's acts from creation to the patriarchal period, it is logical that this book was written before the Exodus. 
as Ellen White writes in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 251. As the years rolled on, and he, Moses, wandered with his flocks in solitary places, pondering upon the oppressed condition of his people, he recounted the dealings of God with his fathers, and the promises that were the heritage of the chosen nation, and his prayers for Israel ascended by day and by night. Heavenly angels shed their light around him. Here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of Genesis. End of quote. With the book of Genesis, we are told not only about our origins, but about the plan of salvation, as the means by which God will redeem fallen humanity. This plan becomes even more apparent with the covenant that God makes with Abraham, which involves his promise to establish through him a great nation to be made up of, as it says in Genesis 22.17, descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. So to finish today, what other great truths have we been taught through the book of Genesis, truths about which we might otherwise not know? What does this teach us about how important the Word of God is to our faith? Friday, May 15. From the book The Great Controversy, page 9, we read, In his word, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of his will. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, and the test of experience. Yet the fact that God has revealed his will to men through his word has not rendered needless the continued presence and guiding of the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, the Spirit was promised by our Saviour to open the Word to His servants to illuminate and apply its teachings. And, since it was the Spirit of God that inspired the Bible, it is impossible that the teaching of the Spirit should ever be contrary to that of the Word. End of quote. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Regardless of how many translations of the Bible exist in your language, what can you do to make the most of what you have? How can you learn to cherish the Bible as the Word of God and to seek by faith to obey what it teaches? 2. Think about the difference between what the Word of God teaches about human origins, that we were created by God on the sixth day of creation, and what humanity itself under the name of science teaches, which is that we evolved over billions of years. What should this vast contrast between the two tell us about how important it is to stick to what the Bible teaches, and how far humanity can get when it veers away from the Word of God and what it plainly teaches? 3. What Bible tools, if any, are available to you that can help you better understand the Bible? And, even if you don't have any extra tools, how can you learn to apply some of the lessons learned this week about how to interpret the Bible? 
4. The children of Israel were told to teach their own children the great truths committed to them and to retell the stories about God's leading in their lives. Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Putting aside the obvious benefit of passing the faith on, what is it about the teaching and the telling of stories about God's leading in our lives that tends to increase our faith? That is, why is sharing biblical truth with others beneficial to ourselves as well? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled I Have Chills and it's by Camel Metz. Liz was busy working in her home in Houston, Texas, United States when suddenly something told her to be still for a moment. Just then she heard a knock at the door. When she opened the door, however, she didn't see anyone. David Pano already had left her porch and was swiftly walking to the next house. Seeing his retreating figure, Liz called out to let him know she was there. Pano heard her call and returned to her home. He smiled and handed her a glow tract. Is this from a cult? she asked. Pano assured her that it was not and that it was just a Christian tract. I have chills right now, Liz exclaimed. Not too long ago I had a dream. In the dream I saw two ministers of the gospel coming to my house sharing literature, and I knew that they were not a cult. Pano, a minister who works as assistant ministries director at the Seventh-day Adventist Church's Michigan Conference, was thrilled to hear about her dream. The only problem with its fulfilment, he quietly pondered, was that he was there by himself. Just then, Taylor Hinkle, pictured here below, his ministry partner on that street, arrived. Hinkle, a chaplain and Bible teacher at Great Lakes Adventist Academy in Michigan, had run out of glow tracts on his side of the street, so he had come to Pano to get some more tracts. There were now two ministers of the gospel at her door. Liz looked at Pano and Hinkle. I believe that this is from God, she said. In my dream I saw two ministers at my door bringing hope to me, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, This is your last chance. I'm coming back soon. Please pray for me, she said. I need Jesus in my life. The two young ministers, who were going door to door with other young adults during the GYC's annual convention in Houston on December 30, 2016, gladly prayed for her. Liz signed up to take Bible studies with a local church. God sends his people as ministers of hope into this dark and gloomy world to introduce souls to the source of hope. Adventist Church co-founder Ellen G. White wrote, We are to minister to the despairing and inspire hope in the hopeless. That's from Desire of Ages, page 350. Why not choose today to be a minister of hope for Jesus? And there's a picture here of Taylor Hinkle and Camel Metz as the International Director for the GLOW Ministry. 
This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harold for Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, Christian Record Services for the Blind, the Sabbath School Department and Hope Channel. You can also listen on the official Sabbath School 4 app and the Apple iTunes app, Sabbath School with Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.